The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Let's pretend for a minute that you have in your garage a Ferrari Testarossa, a gift from a friend. I need a friend like that, by the way. Would you take that wonderful piece of craftsmanship then mechanical genius contained within it, go to the gas station and put cheap gas in it? Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because it's a Ferrari Testarossa. It was made to do awesome things, and it does these things very well, unless you put bad gas in it. Then it does not live up to what it was built to do. Now let's talk about your brain. 12 billion interconnected neurons which have the capability to invent, imagine, theorize, perform, understand, communicate. The brain runs on fuel. The fuel you put into that brain has a lot to do with how magnificently it will perform and how long it will be able to perform well. Our guest today is Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo. Dr. Emerson Lombardo is a graduate of Cornell and Yale Universities. She is an adjunct assistant professor of neurology at Boston University School of Medicine. She is the founder and president of Healthcare Insights, LLC, and the Brain Wellness Services. She is the developer of Memory Preservation Nutrition. Here to talk with us about nutrition, the brain, aging, and dementia, Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for your warm welcome, Sam. And uh, it would probably be fun for your uh, our listeners to know that um, how how we met. How many years ago was it? I lost track, <laughs> but it was a long time ago when um, when we were just really learning uh, so much more about Alzheimer's uh, and and realized it affected um, older people as well as young people. And um, we were both at that time in the in the area of Detroit, Michigan, and uh, worked together to help start the first uh, chapter there for the National Alzheimer's Association. As I that recall, is correct. you were our first chairman of our very first fledgling medical scientific advisory board. <laughs> what a memory. <laughs> and then you went back to Texas, and I went back to Massachusetts, and um, we're still in touch all these years. It later. is. It- it is, and it's great to continue to be in touch with you. You have done wonderful things since those days, Nancy. Well, thank you, as have you. We've each, uh, this has become something important to each of us and each in our own realm has continued to to uh, do things to help people that are dealing with this uh, very serious and, and growing issue because more and more people are are afflicted. 
You know, for many people, Alzheimer's disease, I think, represents the ultimate in a sense of helplessness. You Mm -hmm. can't help whether you're going to get it or not. You can't help how fast it's going to go, what happens with the symptoms and things like that. That's been the traditional view for many, many years. But all of your research says exactly the opposite of that, doesn't it? Right, right. That there is there. We don't have to be totally helpless in the face of it. Before we get into some of the particulars, I just wanted to, to share a couple of personal things. One, um, as you may recall, the reason I got into this work is um, that my own mother had developed Alzheimer's actually as a young woman, so she was correctly diagnosed back in the uh, late 60s and uh, lived with it a very long time. And uh, that, that was my initial incentive in the work. And I just got off the phone. Uh, I have a twin brother named Michael. He's very, very healthy because he eats well and he works out, and he lives in the Fort Worth, Texas area. And what he just called me about, I just got off the phone before coming on with you, is to update me on on what was happening with he and his uh, wife. His wife's mother had been slowly developing um, uh, Alzheimer's disease over the last several years and living with her dad, uh, who probably has a vascular dementia plus uh, a lot of heart problems. So they just have gone through the today was the day they found a nursing home that would uh, be able to take care of mom because um, dad is no longer able able uh, to do that. So, you know, it's just like um, family. There are a lot of emotions that come together. You know, and... Uh, my own cousin, who's in his um, early 70s, he, he's a first cousin on my mother's side, uh, the only living relative of uh, my generation on that side, and he, uh, he has been diagnosed with mid-stage uh, Alzheimer's disease, and it sometimes goes under the radar screen in, in the best families. He's out in Portland, Oregon, and I, I haven't seen him for five years, and he seemed five, fine five years ago, except for some peculiarities. And how he could be this far along in his three adult children not, you know, sounding the alarm before this. But, you know, I bet you see this in your practice, and I bet our listeners uh, might even be experiencing that in their own family where people like to be in denial because, in part, what you open this with, people feel like there's nothing that can be done, so why rock the boat, you know, just try to pretend nothing's happening or especially if your parents are very or it could be a sister or brother are very uh private or or belligerent and don't want to talk about it 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 seems easier in the moment to let it go until there's always a crisis you know, that is uh, unfortunately true, and I'm so sorry to hear how much Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia are visiting within your family. Mm-hmm. You know, Nancy, I don't know whether you remember, but I'm from a very large family. I have nine brothers and three oh, sisters, wow. and each of my parents are from large families. And so uh, even with the sporadic form, statistically, it is going to visit a great deal throughout my family, and uh, yeah. uh, it has already. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, a lot of people have a family interest, and other listeners might know of friends or um, people in their church or synagogue, perhaps. So it's, it's a uh, national concern, and luckily we now have a national Alzheimer's plan, which, we, uh, which is actually new in the last couple of years. We didn't have that back when you and I were initially uh, 
starting work in this area. Um, yes, and if I may, Nancy, if I may just comment on that briefly, you know, we did a program a couple of weeks ago in anticipation of the advocacy forum in Washington, D.C., and um, that uh, advocacy forum is the mechanism which repeatedly put these issues before Congress so that Congress would act and develop uh, something programmatic. And, of course, the NAPA, as we call it, the National Alzheimer Program Act, is one of the uh, things that has come from that process. Right. And and it's a great source of satisfaction to me because back in uh, years before I got into the active role of researching um, Alzheimer's disease and trying to help people slow this uh, process down, because I know that's what you want me to mainly talk about. But way back when, you and I were just trying to figure out, was that 24 years ago, 25 years ago? Uh, <laughs> wearing Nancy, the, the hat yeah, you're guessing too low. <laughs> policy for the National Alzheimer's Association Board of Directors, we started that advocacy forum. Um, and it's really been uh, uh, really... As you said, it's a mechanism for putting the issues before Congress. Why? Because uh, Congress people, uh, where they're even a, a high-level senator, they really react to hearing the personal voices of their constituents um, to know that something is happening in somebody's family and how it affects them. That's what really gets them to uh, consider making uh, changes. And then, of course, it's happening in their family, so... I think that uh, also helps the process. But uh, part of why we wanted to do the advocacy work is to do research and come up with ways of either stopping this illness uh, or reducing risk uh, or slowing it down so that people would have a better chance of living into old age uh, with, with their mind intact. And I love how you started this program with the image of the Ferrari <laughs> And wouldn't you, wouldn't you? I was thinking of your car, the Ferrari. And <laughs> I think that's what um, I'd like to talk about: is how do we how do we improve the level of um, what we give our bodies and our brains um, to help us have the best chance? And this is where it's really important for real, people to realize we're not helpless. We have a lot to do with it. Um, very very few families have a gene where half the family members will develop Alzheimer's. The rest, um, that's like 1%, one, 1%, a uh, very small fraction of the total number of people. The rest of us, uh, you use the term sporadic, the rest of us uh, could be a multiplicity of genes that either increase slightly our risk or decrease slightly our risk. And um, a lot of these newer genes that they've discovered um, have to do with um, broad things like how our lipid metabolism works, how our immune system works, uh, wh- how does inflammation play a role in our body, uh, how much it, uh, inflammation affects us. So it's, it's a lot of processes that affect different parts uh, of the body as well as our, our most delicate organ, the brain. And um, it turns out that our lifestyles have a lot to do with... Um, whether we have better, whether we can, and, and I like to use the term reducing risk and slowing progression, um, because we don't absolutely know how to stop, stop it, um, and we, we don't know absolutely how to prevent it. But I'm hoping that we will 
in the future, but it's very clear we've got evidence for a lot of different lifestyles now. And, uh, well, most of the program we're going to concentrate on, on nutrition because that's my special area of expertise. I want the listeners to realize that there's 11 different, um, including nutrition, there are 11 brain-healthy lifestyles. And if they want to learn more, they can go to my website, brainwellness.com pretty easy to remember, brainwellness.com. And uh, one of the, the other lifestyles that there's a lot of evidence for is physical exercise. So if any listeners out there are worried about themselves or actually have a relative who's afflicted, they, uh, it turns out physical exercise both helps reduce our own risk um, and it will actually help improve the functioning, the thinking and the emotional functioning and slow down the illness for people who already have, whether um, they have mild cognitive problems or whether they've got uh, full-blown dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So just keep in mind, nutrition is part of a bigger picture. You know, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised to find a number of years ago that uh, through uh, non-invasive studies, evidence that physical exercise actually improved perfusion of the hippocampi. You know, the hippocampi of the brain are, of course, uh, critical to memory functioning and are the point at which the the um, uh, microscopic pathology of Alzheimer's disease begins, as we talked with Dr. Sonny Singh a couple of weeks uh-huh. ago. And uh, that, oh, yeah. that was done some really interesting work. And the neat thing about physical exercise is, and there there is one food that I'm a type of food I'm going to be talking about that actually causes our hippocampus to shrink. Uh, there are some foods that we shouldn't eat in excess because uh, they do damage to our brain. But physical exercise is something that helps the hippocampus actually create new brain cells faster than um, otherwise would happen. And the more we exercise the more we can create new brain cells, uh, especially in the hippocampus. It seems to be the most metabolically active part of our brain, probably because it does have the function of laying down our memories. Um, that is but, correct. So well, Nancy, we're doing things that hurt our brain, uh, they happen there faster. If we do things that help our brain, they, they happen there faster, too. They are uh, much more sensitive. Well, Nancy, we are going to go to a break. Okay. and. When we come back, we will talk about what some of these foods are that you are especially interested in. We'll get into the nutrition. We've talked around it. Okay, we'll go to break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. 
Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to the program. We are talking with Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo, who interestingly is a founding member of the Alzheimer Association and Alzheimer International. And I am very grateful to you, Nancy, for joining us here. I'm very interested in having you talk about memory preservation nutrition. This is something that you developed. Yes, I developed it actually starting... uh Gosh, almost 10 years ago, um, uh, working with colleagues at uh, both uh, Boston University School of Medicine, where I'm a, a, a adjunct uh, assistant professor, and also Tufts University um, School of Nutrition. Uh, it turns out that those of us paying attention have noticed that a lot of chronic diseases, like heart disease was the first one noticed, and stroke, are risk factors for Alzheimer's and other cognitive problems. And once you say that, well, we know lifestyle has a lot to do with whether you come down with actual, um, uh, uh, you know, like a heart attack or a stroke. And so logically, lifestyle seemed to be relevant to um, brain disease. So this has been pretty well established that... Um, Every single vascular risk factor you have is a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease in specific and, and dementia in general. And then more recently, another huge connection uh, with another chronic disease is diabetes, and more than that, even pre-di- pre-diabetes. So the minute you're, well, I shouldn't say the minute, but when you're, um, your body starts having unbalanced blood sugar, because usually it's because sometimes it can be a genetic problem, but usually it's because one is eating way too much sugar 
um, and foods that get converted into sugar like starches and white flours like white rice, white uh, bread, white anything. Um, when, when you eat too many of those kind of refined carbs is what they're called, what happens is uh, your, your body becomes under stress. Your body keeps trying to produce more insulin to keep your blood sugar under control, and eventually it doesn't work anymore, and, and um, things kind of break down. Well, meanwhile, and we're learning more and more about the brain and how it, uh, it's really kind of, it's almost counterintuitive, but the brain lives on sugar. That is the energy source for the brain. So talking about fuel, well, wouldn't we want to give it lots of uh, wonderful plain old white sugar? And it turns out the opposite is true. Um, the brain, it turns out insulin actually has trouble getting into the brain, and the brain has its own delicate source of insulin, so it e- easily gets overwhelmed. And what happens when you've got your blood sugar out of control and you don't even have to have full-blown diabetes. It might be this stage called pre-diabetes or insulin resistance. What happens is your brain is um, under stress, and the first area you see this is in the hippocampus. I think we touched on that earlier, and your hippocampus actually starts to shrink, and this is established by doing CAT scans, and the fellow that has led this work in New York City found that even teenagers who have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes have this phenomenon already happening, and that's very scary. Luckily, if you have type 1 diabetes caused by other, other reasons, uh, that, that this process does not happen. Um, so you can see that when you start building a program, those two big areas of which chronic diseases, you've got to have good heart functioning. Ideally, you want to keep all of your... Um, your different heart risks under control to the extent you can, and mostly through diet and exercise, by the way, because a lot of the statin drugs um, can actually have negative side effects, even in the brain. And though some people do very well, and I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't want to get into that part of it. Okay, so now another whole area of research is uh, we started looking in the labs using um, cell cultures and mice trying to figure out which, which foods might have a positive impact on some of the uh, precursors to Alzheimer's disease. A lot of people are worried about the buildup of this. Uh, it's called beta amyloid or A-beta protein. And it turned out it, uh, it didn't matter which uh, fruit or vegetable that we would consider a healthy food um, the scientists looked at, it would reduce the amount of the problem A-beta. And all of these foods, uh, a lot of them had antioxidants in it. So we know that having an antioxidant-rich diet is very important. And we've been learning more about that, and I'll go more into detail. But I want to just put that out there because um, another type of food that turned out to be really helpful are foods that are anti-inflammatory because the other area that we – what we – we're still learning about how this disease is very complex, this Alzheimer's disease, and as are all the other neurodegenerative diseases. And by the way, the more people look into it, the more common threads they find about across these different brain diseases, even though they seem to have different symptoms and seem to maybe start in different parts of the brain. That has seemed to be the parallel. case, yes. 
And um, there's some new research actually coming out. I don't have time to get into. But um, anyway, inflammation turns out to be a really big part of what speeds up the pathology that we know is Alzheimer's disease. And it may start with oxidative stress. It may start with other things. And if uh, uh, it's hard for people to understand these big terms, oxidative stress, inflammation, what are they? Well, I, I don't have time to go into great detail, but one thing you can think of with oxidative stress is uh, whether it's a, a piece of uh, iron rusting or it could be when you're in the kitchen and you cut an apple open and you leave it on the counter, it turns brown. So that would be oxidative, oxidation of the apple. Um, and what happens is uh, as we get older, we are more vulnerable to the excess oxygen that we have as a side effect of living. And your very DNA gets oxidized and uh, destroyed slowly, luckily slowly. And that's how they actually measure the amount of oxidative stress that we, we as an individual might have is by looking at how much our DNA is oxidized, or whether our lipids, our fats, are oxidized. Anyway, this oxidative stress does get is is a phenomenon inside the brain as well as in other parts of our body. And this, uh, when the uh, brain cell is too stressed, it sets up an inflammatory process. Infla- inflammation. Most people would know well. Um, they could relate to it as, oh, you get a sunburn, your skin is red. It's inflamed. We use the term inflamed. Uh, if you have a cut or a wound that's healing, it's red. It's inflamed. Now, that process is happening inside our bodies. We feel it if it's an inflamed joint. We can certainly feel that pain or maybe a headache. But for the most part, it's silent. We don't even know it's happening. And uh, especially the inflammation in our brains, we really, that, that's helping destroy brain cells. We don't really feel that. And with these two processes, it, and we're, we're beginning to understand more how, how it's related, but those two processes lead to the buildup of this um, problem A-beta protein, but also tau, which is the other abnormal protein in Alzheimer's. And the best way to combat those two problems is actually through the food that we eat, and, um, and as far as inflammation, physical exercise helps with that as well. So I think those those give you um, a little bit of the evidence that's behind this diet, and the the latest areas um, show that it's combinations of foods. Um, the first research done, whether it was with mice or surveying what people ate and trying to relate that to their risk of Alzheimer's or cognitive decline, with people looked at individual foods, but that's not the way we eat. So the most exciting studies have looked at combinations of food, and first it was done through what's called epidemiological studies by interviewing bunches of people and, and relating uh, groups of food that they ate to their risk of Alzheimer's. That was great work done at Columbia by um, a Greek doctor, a Greek-American doctor, uh, Nick Scarmaeus. Uh, he's, he's really uh, terrific. And then um, the biggest... Uh, the most important study, partly building on his work, uh, was done by a group in Spain actually researching heart disease and trying to see if, if they could get people to adhere to a Mediterranean diet. Now, this is Spain. Um, they're already eating better than us. But 
all across the world, people are eating uh, too much sugar and too many other um, foods that aren't good for them and are not eating enough of the foods that are. And so um, they ran this huge study, 7,500 people, to see if by getting people to eat more Mediterranean-style foods, would it help reduce their uh, rate of first-time heart attack or stroke, uh, which it did um, by 30%. So that was quite a dramatic finding. Luckily, the leader of the study realized, oh, I should have at baseline been doing cognitive testing, but he hadn't. So what he did was do some uh, posts at the very near the end of the study in his study center. He tested the people um, that were on the control diet, which was, by the way, a low-fat diet that nobody really liked very much, uh, or uh, uh, compared to the either arm of the Mediterranean uh, diet, uh, they, the people in the intervention group actually had stronger scores on their uh, thinking tests that they did with them. So that was our first randomized clinical trial to show that eating better actually definitely helps us think better. Um, that was just reported last year. So, well, that is... That is uh, very helpful for setting the stage for what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes after the break. Oh, we're and already ready for another break. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to tell you. Told me it would. Nancy, I've got to tell you the first program that I did, I was worried about not having enough to say. I think I had enough material to cover about two years of radio programming. Yes, it I, does, I am the same way. <laughs> it does go by fast. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's go to a break, and when we return, we will talk about the memory preservation nutrition approach that Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo has developed. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Thank you for staying with us in our conversation with Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo with the uh, Department of Neurology at Boston University School of Medicine, founder and president of Healthcare Insights and developer of memory preservation nutrition. So if you'll forgive me, Nancy, for saying it this way, let's get into the meat of this topic. Okay. (laughs) And that is one of the foods that we we need to limit is meat. (laughs) But um, so it's funny you. I, I like to play with words too. So uh, so let's. It flows right out of the research. What we need to eat and what we need to avoid. Um, so what we need to eat uh, a lot of is antioxidant foods, and this includes some of the most delicious foods in the world. And I know some people don't like to eat their leafy greens, and I actually work with people to help them do it because. Uh, of all the vegetables, leafy greens seem to be the ones uh, most uh, valuable. That the high the high test fuel for our for our uh, for our brain for the Ferrari <laughs> for the Ferrari brain. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to borrow that image. I hope I re- <laughs> uh, do. Um, so okay, so here are foods that are rich in antioxidants, spices, and herbs, and that's something a lot of people don't think about. You'll hear eat your vegetables and fruits, which are important. But let's not forget the spices and herbs. First of all, they taste good. And if we're trying to cut down on sugar, which is one of our foods that we have to limit, spices can really help us do that as well as keep our sodium under control if you happen to have high blood pressure and need to control sodium. So spices are great because they're all very powerful antioxidants and many of them are also um, very great, uh, what's called anti-inflammatory agents. They'll help keep the level of inflammation in your body and brain down. And um, I'll mention some of those stars. And being that I'm talking with a Texan, <laughs> one of the number one is is hot peppers in cayenne. Thank and, you. Uh, is that great? And the hotter they are, they actually the more anti-inflammatory they are. When I found that out, I just was tickled because my Texan brother he loves eating hot hot peppers, and <laughs> they're the only things I I have a little garden and I try to grow things, but uh, I have too much. I don't have enough of your Texas sun. And uh, now recently, I have varmints like woodchucks. Well, they won't touch the hot peppers. So that's what they're not. They are not Texas woodchucks, are they? Yeah, they're not Texas (laughs) woodchucks. So hot peppers, and then um, a lot of people, of course, can't tolerate them. And so the red color in the sweet red peppers is good, and the yellow and the orange as well. Then um, you can have uh, another really good anti-inflammatory spice is turmeric, yellow color, and curry. Doesn't have a strong flavor. You can use it a lot of things. Ginger is um, the queen of herbs, and it will help your digestive system, help uh, keep colds uh, under control, and um, 
it's really strong anti-inflammatory. So I, I, I suggest people think about drinking a cup of ginger tea every day. You can fresh grate your own or you can buy ginger tea bags. And then um, some other uh, would be rose um, Mediterranean spices like rosemary, oregano, um, and then uh, there's there's other more rare ones like scutellaria is actually a wildflower that grows in Texas. I've seen it in my brother's lawn, and uh, <laughs> there's there's uh, many others um, that are that are great for us. And then uh, cinnamon is one of my favorite to recommend to people because it mimics the taste of, of sweetness on the tongue, so you can use it instead of sugar in your coffee and on a lot of things just to take, uh, you know, give a little sense of sweetness without any sugar. In fact, it helps control your blood sugar. It helps lower cholesterol. I recommend a half a teaspoon to one teaspoon a day, and that is enough to lower your cholesterol by an average of 8%, according to a human clinical trial done some years ago. And then most recently, some Israeli scientists found that it actually helps keep the beta amyloid um, under control in, in the mice that they studied. So it's a great spice all around. You can keep it, I keep it really close to me uh, all the time. So that's an idea about spices. And then herbs are both um, like basil and, uh, well, oregano and rosemary are also herbs. But I'm thinking of cooking herbs like parsley is really great. It helps you keep your uh, blood, it's, it's really an anti, it's a diuretic, so it helps keep your blood sugar under control, and besides, it's delicious. So a lot of things that taste good are actually good for us. The one thing that tastes good that isn't would be sugar, and trans fats is another real big no-no. And um, saturated fat, we're, we're coming to a new understanding about that, though some studies do suggest that we don't want to eat too much animal-saturated fats. But it isn't because of the cholesterol problem. I, if I have time, I'll get into that. Okay, green leafy vegetables, you really want to eat uh, some every day. And uh, Texas style in, in the South, I find that people are more open to eating greens than some folks up uh, where I am. And um, like my son-in-law, who's from Ohio, three-quarters Italian, you'd think he'd love his greens. What happened to this kid? <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out he's a wonderful young man, and um, so he and he wants to to protect his brain. So... He said, work with me to figure out how I can learn to enjoy greens. Turns out he likes certain strong flavors. So if it has, uh, if it's a radish, uh, type flavor, he likes that. So he'll eat those like watercress and arugula. And, uh, and for other greens, it turns out the solution is balsamic vinegar. And vinegar of any kind is actually healthy for us. Um, it's a fermented food and we need to be eating fermented foods uh, to keep our our uh, biological zoo in our in our guts happy, so uh, that was the solution for him. Uh, for others, it's been mustard, putting mustard, or or using a lot of garlic or tomato, um, or hot pepper if you're a cayenne pepper fan, or a jalapeno. So there there's uh, you know use the taste that you like, and if you need to make foods that you know are really good for you taste better then, uh, you know, be creative. So another food that's really key is beans, beans and lentils. That's part of the Mediterranean diet. And luckily, again, beans are kind of popular in Texas in the South. 
Um, so, you know, eat those beans, and uh, again, you can use all these wonderful flavors to, to, to give you variety. And then within your fruit family, uh, berries are probably the most potent. Uh, they carry the most nutrition for the volume and the calories. And among your tree fruits, uh, you know, vary them up. Among your tree fruits, apples turned out um, through experiments. We've learned they actually increase the um, neurotransmitter acetylcholine in the brain. How about that? I like that. <laughs> yeah. My friend Tom um, Shea up at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell discovered that quite by, uh, he was surprised himself. Uh, nuts and seeds are absolutely essential. Um, not only strong antioxidants, but some have omega-3s in them, which I'll get to in a minute. They all uh, help lower your cholesterol and keep your blood sugar under control. And uh, they're part essential part of the Mediterranean diet. And that study I mentioned, one of their successes was to give people free um, free nuts uh, to eat some every day. And, that, and they did. You give somebody free food, guess what? They're more likely to eat it. So... Um, that was a very successful study. Whole grains is very important because when you have refined grains, you lose the antioxidants and a whole lot of vitamins and nutrients, um, and then uh, they spike your blood sugar. So you want whole grains, and, and try a variety. Like if you haven't tried quinoa yet or buckwheat or some of the ancient grains like millet, um, they're all uh, really good for us. Tea, um, Coffee is also good because it's an antioxidant, but tea is even better. Um, and then you can use juices, but I wouldn't, unless they're vegetable juices, I would limit my juice intake to about one glass a day or less because of the high sugar content. And then you want uh, foods uh, rich in natural vitamin E, such as almonds and palm oil and a lot of other uh, nuts and seeds. Okay. Now, one reason you want to eat your green leafy vegetables is because it is a source for omega-3s, and we want to eat foods that are rich in omega-3s and decrease omega-6s um, because omega-6s, if you get too many of them, it's, it's pro-inflammatory. Your omega-3s are anti-inflammatory and also make up your very brain cells. So when you're thinking about what you eat for your brain, there's kind of two kinds of foods. One is your energy source, your sugars, you want to keep under very uh, – control, you want complex carbs in, you, in small doses, and then you want the building blocks to your actual brain cell. So that's where the omega-3s come in. The vitamin E, uh, you want um, the kind of vitamin E that's complex with eight different, uh, it's, it's a family of different forms. Um, so you don't want to, I personally, uh, Sam, don't recommend taking the cheap form of vitamin uh, e that has just the alpha tocopherol, it's not worth it. Um, either it's better to try to get a variety of vitamin E, the different kinds from your food, or if you take a supplement, get one with all eight eight parts, eight part eight members of the family, as it were. Um, okay, uh, and then uh, where do we get omega threes? Um, our vegetables, actually, all our green leafy vegetables, just like grass in the in the fields, has Omega-3s. Now, we don't eat grass, but the cattle, when they used to eat grass, they used to have omega-3s in their flesh. And one reason we need to limit our meat intake is our farm animals are no longer really healthy 
because they're not out foraging, eating grass and weeds and getting their omega-3s and their uh, vitamins. So we need to eat more vegetables than we ever did, uh, which may not be happy news to people, but there, there it is. Okay. Uh, I, I just heard a horrible groan across Texas. Yes, but you know, in the amazing place that I work with, an adult day program for people with Alzheimer's and other dementias, they're making the switch. They, uh, they, the the people that go there want to eat healthy, and we're doing a complete makeover uh, of the pan- of the pantry items, the menu, the recipes. And they're loving it, so because it tastes well. Good. You know, Nancy. One of the things that I hope that we'll be able to talk about in our next segment in a little bit is uh, how you implement these changes. It seems to me yeah. it takes number one a lot of information. A person has to have a knowledge base right. um, to to uh, know what to do differently. Right. Number two, it takes a, a level of motivation and a sustained motivation, actually, not just a right. a moment of inspiration. Right. You know, and then three, it takes a certain creativity and and um, let's say technique to make um, these changes and make them palatable and acceptable, right? Right, and we're we're trying to help with that. I on my website, uh, brainwellness dot com, I have quite a few recipes there for people. And right now, with amazing place, we're going to pilot um, a menu. In fact, I'm working on it this week. Um, it's just a one-week menu, but breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, and everything uh, in the meal, everything is brain healthy, and it, it gives people an idea of where to go, and it'll come complete with shopping lists. So, oh, that's great. Well, that, that's the kind of uh, practical knowledge that the yeah. listenership would need. Well, we are going to go to a break, and okay. uh, when we return, we will have more discussion with Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo. Thank you. Okay. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. 
Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. We have a caller, Retz, from the state of Michigan. Retz, welcome to the program. Thank you. Do you have have a question question. that you would like to ask, Dr. Nancy? Yes, I do. Um, I definitely am loving this show. I'm I'm definitely into nutrition and, and that line also. Green drinks, kombucha, apple a day, keeps the doctor away, all that. One other thing that I like is Renew Life talks about um, HOPE, and it stands for High Fiber Omega Probiotics and Enzymes. I just wondered if she would touch on any of that. But also my main question is um, the cholesterol level that doctors want us to maintain now is like they want us to be below 100, and I just wondered if she would touch on that also. And again, thank you. Uh, It's a very good show. Well, Thank I, you I was going to comment a little bit about the uh, cholesterol uh, phenomena. I'm not a medical doctor, but I can tell you what the latest research uh, shows about how the foods we eat affect cholesterol. There are many foods that help lower it, like I mentioned the nuts and seeds and the beans, the vegetables, the uh, fish and omega-3s. The one food that actually now the study has been uh, published the food that causes us to eat the kind of cholesterol that causes us problems is sugar and all the foods that are converted to sugar, not saturated fat, which is really interesting. Um, they've determined that saturated fat, it, it makes a kind of fluffy uh, type of, I think it's called type A cholesterol. It's an LDL, but it, it is not the problem. Uh, it's the very fine particles that are created when we eat excess sugar of any kind. It gets converted to fructose. Our liver makes it into the very fine particles of cholesterol plus fat, which, of course, makes us fat, the triglycerides. And those very fine particles are easily oxidized. When they're oxidized, they start sticking to the inside of our blood vessels, which includes the blood vessels of our brain. So that's the kind of cholesterol you want to control, and actually I believe we can do it um, through diet. Um, a lot of the drugs I think do have problematic, and I, I, I don't see us taking uh, these drugs for 30 years, um, personally. That's my opinion. I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, I also like to see people use niacin as a first trial before using statins. But um, this, this knowledge that it's really sugar and refined starches and grains that are really causing our bodies to make too much cholesterol. Now, some people have, I know, genetic problems that that may, um, you know, um, make things uh, worse and 
beyond what I just said. But for many people, if they could control their sugar, they'll save their brain and save their heart. And this is a brand new uh, nutritional knowledge. Um, so thank you for your question. That was very interesting. I don't have any comment about the hope um, thing. There are lots of other good nutritions out there, and, and that could be one of them. I'm just not um, familiar with it. The kabusha and other fermented products I'm all for because of we're finding that the brain needs um, is affected by having enough probiotics that's a friendly bacteria, and we need to feed those friendly bacteria uh, good food, which turns out to be fiber and the green leafy vegetables, the beans, the nuts. A lot of the foods that we know that are keep us healthy actually keep our gut healthy but and, and also directly keep our brain healthy. Um, so, so I'd like to summarize the program, and then uh, I think we're almost out of time. Yes, so we have. You... Let me read one more question. Ritz, okay, are you okay. still on the line? So she has hung up. I, Retz, okay. I appreciate that call. And yeah. I have a question that's emailed in, Nancy, okay. if you don't mind. And we have sure. about uh, three minutes to go. Okay. Um, the comment, the show is just wonderful tonight. Nancy said we should limit our omega-6s oh. and increase omega-3 intake. Which food groups are high in omega-6? I will be encouraging people to avoid these. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, the highest foods in omega-6s are, are, are animal foods. And that's what it is, is that we, we eat, we need to eat more plant foods. I'm not saying be vegetarian and I, or vegan, um, but we need to eat more like fish, uh, and less beef and less red meat. Um, and that's the main source. And we also should limit our dairy and uh, within the dairy field, a field, I use, uh, fermented foods like yogurt and even sour cream. Uh, there are many healthy omega-6s that we need to have a little of. But we, it's because our diet is out of, out of balance um, that we have too many omega-6s. So it's, I'd love to work with um, the caller or the person that sent the email. One of the services I offer is I actually work with assisted living, nursing homes, um, daycare, and individuals to change, to do what I call a makeover in menus, recipes, and uh, pantry ingredients help them know what foods to order, what foods to shop for, because uh, the changes can be made slowly, one little step at a time. Uh, a lot of people prefer to do it that way, but this amazing place in Houston has made a makeover practically overnight. And if any of our readers, I will be putting that information up on the website uh, um, pretty pretty shortly if uh, people want to go to brainwellness.com in terms of the services we offer and, and some of the changes at this one. Uh, um, <laughs> they are an amazing place in Houston, has managed to make in just a few months' time. And people love it. I mean, the people go there. They Some have strokes, some have Alzheimer's, some have other dementias. They were part of the process of determining the changes that would be made. And here they're in Texas, and they were willing to have less meat, more fish, and more vegetables and have more beans in their life. What made so. that program work so quickly in Houston? Well, uh, we're, we're going to have to write up a case study. I think part of it was building consensus. All the staff were on board. They have a wonderful chef that she loves the people, the dietitian, and then getting the participants involved and the families involved in the change so that um, nothing was sprung on anybody. Everybody was brought up to speed. 
and had a say in it. Um, and you got to have the food taste good. And luckily, we had the skill in the kitchen to, uh, to produce delicious food, Linda St. Hill. So I, I, it, it took a lot of... And then uh, maybe labeling things. It's really funny. In this group, they really wanted to eat healthier. But people have done experiments in restaurant. If you label something, label something hard healthy, people don't order it anymore. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> says. But if you've got a brain issue, I think people really want to protect their brain. I think... Your Ferrari example is is really right on target. We we want to take care of uh, the thing that powers uh, powers our uh, lives. Well, Nancy, we have a problem now, and that problem is basically this: there is a lot more that you could say, there is a lot more that I could ask, and there's not much more time. So I. Um, would, am, am first of all very grateful for working your very rigid and busy schedule to take the time to be on the program today. Oh, I, I appreciate that a great deal, and and I've learned a lot from it. Um, and I would like to have you back on at some point if we schedule it far enough ahead of time, sure. where we can have a lot more interactive discussion about these things. So, right. and I'd love uh, more questions by email and by callers. That would be great fun. But you, but I'd love to have a discussion back and forth now that we've kind of covered the basics, and then uh, we could go into uh, you know whatever whatever questions come to mind. I'd I'd love to do that. Right. Well, we need to break away now, Nancy. Again, okay. thank you, and thank all of you for listening. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.